please welcome Paul Bowden as he comes to share again on marriage and relationships. Let's give him a hand. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, church. How's everybody doing? Awesome. Well, I'm excited. Thank you, Pastors Mike and Rhonda, very much for uh, inviting me up again uh, to speak. Um, I'm excited about the topic, the hot topic of relationships and how to have successful relationships. Um, I'm just excited about who we are as a church. I'm excited about so much influence that God is leading us to, um, a brand new building. Uh, but beyond that, I think we are a part, we're a huge part of what God is doing in his kingdom in this region. Amen? Amen. Um, yeah, we've had some excellent guest speakers too, Angie Gergen um, and Joey, uh, just both excellent speakers. We get to hear Julie next week. I'm excited for that too. Um, and if you're not excited after Angie Gergen speaks, the old saying is, your wood is wet, yeah. right? If you're not on fire, your wood is wet. And Joey just has such a heart for people, for God and his, God's presence. I just love your heart, brother. Um, so uh, successful relationships. To me, it's one of the big three or four things that each of us need in our lives in order to be successful and have influence. Um, some more of those would be, well, relationships, money, health. We need time also for influencing people. And I, I picture those as kind of spokes in a wheel. And so we want long spokes. We want, we want very healthy um, of all four of those areas. And if, if they're not, I've, I picture them short spokes in a wheel, and it doesn't go very fast. It can't go very far. And if we're good at money and we're good at relationships, but our health is bad, well, that affects things too. And maybe that spoke is short and um, the wheel kind of clunks along. It's not as effective. We want health in every one of those areas, right? So that our wheel can be big and it can go fast and, and far. So if you're ready to receive that, then go ahead and say amen. 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 All right, well, we'll pray and then we'll jump right in. Father, we just give you this time, Lord. We thank you so much that you are here. Where two or more are gathered, there you are in the midst of us. We wanna receive all that you have for us, Lord. We open our hearts to your word and we ask that you would open your word to us and we thank you for doing that. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, well, how many people in here have a car or a vehicle to get around? Raise your hand. All right, good. How many of those people that raised their hand have never read the owner's manual for that vehicle? Raise your hand again. Just about the same. A few have, though. That's impressive. Um, I have not, but we know enough. We know enough to get around, right? We know how to start it, put it in gear, go, make it go faster, and stop it, turn it. Um, and... Those, those things in the manual are principles. They're principles to operate that vehicle. Well, there are principles to operate our relationships too, and guess where they're found? The owner's manual for here on earth is the Bible, right? The basic instructions before leaving earth. Um, and that's where we're going to go this morning. That's where, where we're going to get everything from. So we need to follow the word, Right? Amen. Our first relationship uh, that we'll talk about is our relationship with God. I have a very successful friend that says uh, there's two most important things, and the first one, the most important thing, is to have a relationship with our Creator and to be at peace with Him on His terms, 
right? We don't get to say what the terms are. He says what the terms are in his word. And the most important thing is that we have a relationship with him and uh, we have peace with him. So we need to get to know him, who he is, not just about him. We need to seek his face. We need to know how he thinks, not just seek his hands and what he can give and provide. We need to know who he is and invite him into every situation in our life. And Luke 10, 27 is actually a command. Uh, it's similar to Mark 12, 30. Uh, and they say, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and Mark 12, 30 adds, all your strength. It says, this is the first commandment. So we're actually commanded to have a relationship with God. It seems kind of funny, but if that's what we need, then, then so be it. That's what we need. But we want to get to the point where we experience him, right? We have a relationship with him and we spend time with him. And then we'll say things like what we find in Psalm 34, 8, and it says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. That's an experience. The Passion Translation says, drink deeply the pleasures of God. Drink them in deeply. It's a pleasure to be around him. The message says, open your mouth and taste. Open your eyes and see how good he is. So it's, it's a wonderful thing. And we're all on a journey to, to get to that point and beyond. But some might think that uh, a relationship with God isn't really necessary or they can do it on their own terms. I've heard the saying, I'm a fisherman, so I've heard uh, other people say, you know, I'd rather be on the water fishing on Sunday morning and thinking about God than in church on Sunday morning thinking about fishing. It's a little bit backwards, but um, I'd rather be in God's presence. Amen? Amen. So, in having a relationship with him, we do this by walking with him daily, inviting him into our situations, asking him what we should do, um, watch and see how he operates, and um, ask him to speak to us through his word. So God is good. He is so good that Romans 2.4 says that it's his goodness that brings us to repentance. It's not him being a whipcracker or a driver. It's his goodness that that makes us want to repent. So that's a relationship with God. The second relationship is uh, a relationship with other people. Okay, that's man to man or woman to woman um, with the human species, with one another. It might just be a friendship, someone uh, from work or church that you have uh, similar interests with. And Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. So that all times means through the good times, through the bad times, tough times, uh, we always need to be there for each other. The New Living Translation says a friend is always loyal. And God teaches us loyalty through those friendships because there's another friendship coming. There's another relationship coming that's even more important. That's the most important relationship that we can have on earth. Um, another Another translation says that friends love through all kinds of weather and families stick together in times of trouble. It's interesting that these, these concepts of friendship and family are put together because friendship is a sort of a family bond. So there's, there's many characteristics of godly friendship. I'm just going to touch on a couple. The first being true friends don't expect anything from you in return. 
They don't expect anything. Anything that they have, you could borrow and, and you could use. That's a true friend. They don't, they don't hold the item in one hand and stick out their other hand and say, what are you going to do for me now? Uh, they just, they willingly give. True friends extend forgiveness, which we need a lot of times. Sometimes we get ourselves in trouble by what we say or by what we do or don't do. And I believe that our friends, and when we're friendly and when we're being a friend, we want to offer forgiveness. <clears throat> True friends pray for you. I hope you have those one or two or three people that you can text or you can call and say, hey, I'm going through something. I need some prayer. I need, I need God's light on this situation. Or maybe you have friends that just automatically pray for you. Maybe you pray for your friends and then God can show us an opportunity uh, when our friend might need a little uh, encouragement. True friends lovingly point you back to Jesus when you get a little off. But I think the most important one is a true friend fights to give the advantage. So he fights or she fights to give the advantage, not take. So uh, the example that I have for that is uh, we have friends where we have to fight to, in order to pay the bill at, if we go out to a restaurant. So I had to get creative, and I finally figured out a way. And so the, the minute that I walked into the restaurant, um, I gave my credit card to the hostess, and I said, listen, we're going to have dinner with that couple over there. No matter what, you do not let them pay. You put it on this card. Because otherwise, there, there would be no way that I would ever be able to repay or to give the advantage. So you want friends like that. Uh, Romans 12.10 says, to be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another. Uh, the Passion Translation there says, try to outdo yourselves in respect and honor of one another. And the Message Bible says, practice playing second fiddle. Why would we have to practice that? Why would we have to practice playing second fiddle? There must be, um, there must be another relationship that God is preparing us for. So Proverbs 27, 17 says it takes a grinding wheel to sharpen a blade, and so one person sharpens the character of another. That doesn't feel good sometimes when we get put to the grinding wheel, but we need that. We need our friends there to help us to do that. Friends can keep us from deception. They can keep us accountable to our actions. They can speak truth to us. And Ephesians 4, 15 says that we need to speak the truth in love that we can grow up in all things. We, we need to grow up in a lot of areas, and we need our friends, uh, and that includes our local church body, to do that and to help us out with that. We also need friends to help us through challenges and life's tough times. So that brings us to the first question. <clears throat> The question is, how do you navigate relationships when you're new to the faith and your friends and family don't believe in God and the peer pressure is trying to pull you back into old ways? <clears throat> That's a tough one. And uh, whoever wrote that in, I, I thank you very much because I think a lot of us face this. I faced this when I became a Christian. Uh, and my answer would be get around other people. Get around mature believers as much as you can uh, to, to help keep you strong and feed your faith. Even meet with them, you know, uh, text once a day or meet, meet with them weekly. Uh, get together with them and make sure your faith is strong. And again, that's why we have a body of believers so we can help each other with this. We can't do this on our own. It's like 
uh, when, you, when you're at a campfire, you know, if, if a coal falls away, that coal cools quickly, right? That's why we want to stay together and we want to stay hotter longer. Next thing to do is starve the negative input. This might be difficult. You might have to limit the time that you spend with those old friends. I had to do that, and uh, it was one of the hardest things I ever had to do. I, I had to almost turn my back and say, you know what? I love you guys. I can't keep going that direction with you anymore. I'm going this direction. Uh, God is calling me to something higher, amen, and something better. So I'm going that way. Thankfully, uh, I did it, or we did it in such a way, God prepared it in such a way that um, he actually restored some of those friendships later in life, and I'm so thankful for that. There was some activities that we could do together uh, that were wholesome, hunting and fishing typically. (laughs) Uh, And then God brought us back together. So if I can encourage you with that, um, uh, let it be an encouragement. But Here's something that Jesus said in Matthew 10, 34, and interestingly, he does not promise that all of our relationships uh, will be able to maintain. He said, and this portion of my Bible says, Christ brings division, and it's Jesus speaking. He said, do not think that I came to bring peace to earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword, for I have come to set man against his father, daughter against her mother, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And uh, he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And that's the life that we want to find. That's the life we want to find. And following Christ is going to cost us. It's It's going to cost us, but the great news is that it is worth it. And here's one more encouragement. It's actually Jesus speaking again, and I hope the Holy Spirit encourages you through this scripture. It's Matthew 19, 29. And he said, everyone who has left houses and brothers or sisters or father and mother or wife or children or lands for my sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Amen. That's encouraging. We're, we're talking about eternity here. Another question dealt with healthy boundaries in relationships. Again, uh, ask a mentor. Find a mentor, somebody that can help you. Uh, and this is what the body is for again. I have a couple trusted people that I can meet with, and I can just say, hey, I'm running into this situation. This is coming against me. Um, you know, what, what is the perspective that I should be looking at this? Or... I have this option, this situation, and this is the only thing I see. Can you see anything else that I can do? A lot of times when things are abstract and they're um, buzzing around our head, a friend can help you just put things into place and make your next step a little more obvious. And as we're talking about boundaries, we need to make sure that our marriages have boundaries, right? That, that they're protected because the enemy wants to, wants to come in and divide and separate uh, spouses and then conquer. So that's very, very important to put boundaries around your marriage and have, have somebody help you with that. Stay in the word. Don't leave yourself on an island. It's very, very important. So we'll move into the marriage relationship 
And this is a picture of the union between Christ and the church, which blows my mind. I, I can't really wrap my mind around how that works, but he says it in his word that marriage is a picture of the union between Christ and his church. And here's a key for us. We need to learn how to have a relationship with God and a relationship with normal people so that when you're in your marriage, that is an extension of the other two relationships. So another question is, what is the biblical view on marriage? There's a few purposes that God put marriage together, and I think this is one of the most important. It's why God created marriage, and it's to replicate his image on the earth. In Genesis 1.26, Elohim, who is the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, said, let us make man in our own image. And in Genesis 2.18, he said, when he noticed that Adam was alone, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And we'll look at those two words real quickly, a helper comparable to him. The word helper comes from the Hebrew word azer, which means a helper, a rescue, a power, a strength. This is who he was going to make when he made Eve. This is who he made when he made a wife. He made a helper, a rescuer, a power, and a strength. He uses the word azer 20 times in the Old Testament. Most of those times, it refers to the Holy Spirit. It, uh, it shows up in Psalm 121.1, where he says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. That's azer. That help is the azer, the Holy Spirit. And the word comparable comes from the word konegdo, which means toe-to-toe, facing, opposite. So just think of that. Adam is, Adam is standing there. Eve is standing in front of him, toe-to-toe, facing, opposite, opposing, or facing the other way. So it's not that they're in opposition, but they're facing each other. And from this position, Eve can see Adam's blind spot, Right? And Adam can see Eve's blind spot. It's, it's a culmination. It's a completion of that portion of, um, uh, that portion of, <clears throat> what's the word I'm looking for? That portion of the creation. It's now complete when, when uh, God made Eve. So it's an intimacy. It's a closeness. And Genesis 2.18 could say, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a saving power, a strength facing him. I will make for him a rescue that looks him in the face. So we need to keep that that view of our wives, men. Uh, That's who God created for us. So God the Father is in the middle of a Christ-like man and a Holy Spirit-like woman. Adam was called uh, a type of Christ, and we can see from Scripture that Uh, The wife is a Holy Spirit type woman, and God is right in the middle of of the two. That's how he created his image on the earth. And when the enemy, when the devil sees that, he hates it. He hates it with a passion. That's why he comes against you and your marriage. And that's why we need prayer. That's why we need um, each other. And that's why we need the body. It does other things too, like replicate his nature. It demonstrates his character. It helps us act more like God. It helps us to behave differently. It, it helps us to, to, to act unselfishly. 
So now some practical application. I trust the Holy Spirit will bring ways to mind that you can apply some of this to your, your marriage and uh, just let him suggest a few things to you. We're gonna talk about the leave and cleave scripture. Have you ever heard of that? It's found in Genesis 2.24. And it says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. God said this right after he created Eve for Adam. He said, therefore, this is the picture, Adam and Eve, this is marriage. This is why uh, man will leave father and mother and cleave to his wife. Now, the word leave, um, we, don't, we don't like to think of leave sometimes, that we have to leave other uh, relationships. And it's not that we have to shun them, but God is making a law of priority here. He is saying marriage has to be first, so we have to leave other relationships. Before we're married, our father and mother have priority, and they are our most important blood bond. But we have to make sure that the, the marriage is the priority. By the way, does anybody know how we can find Adam and Eve in heaven? They're the only ones with no belly buttons, yes. So... We learned something today. <laughs> now, I, I don't know if that's true or not, but we know that God wasn't just saying a man will leave and cleave to Adam and Eve because they don't have father and mother to leave. We do. So this is the law of priority for, for us. And I think one of the cool things that was lost on me when I proposed to my wife is it should be, young people, it should be your way of saying you are going to be my priority for the rest of my life. You are going to be my most important, um, my most important relationship. I almost said project. <laughs> <laughs> but you're the most important thing to me next to God, but on earth, you're the most important. Therefore, a man shall cleave unto his wife. Some translations, translations say joined, um, both cleave and joined are kind of weak in the English language. Um, when we think of cleave, sometimes maybe we think of a meat cleaver, and that's not the, the picture that we want to get in our head when we talk about marriage. Uh, but it means to pursue with all of your energy. It means that there's going to be work. God was saying there's going to have to be some work put forth here in this marriage. And just think of it. We fall in love because we put that work in. We work to meet the needs of the other person. And then we can fall out of love because we take each other for granted. We stop doing the things that made us fall in love. But marriage works only if you serve each other. Otherwise, it doesn't work. So where are we? We've developed a great relationship with our Heavenly Father. We are at peace with our Creator. We know our purpose. Um, we've learned to have healthy relationships with regular people. And we've left other relationships and we're cleaving to each other, pursuing each other with all of our energy and we make it the best we can be by serving. Now, the greatest challenge to this, serving each other, is what? It's selfishness. And the bad news is we're all selfish. The good news is God can help us with that, and he's, he's given us a great, uh, a great example. And every husband has what his wife needs, and every wife has what her husband needs. We fall in love because we meet the needs of each other. It's, 
It's like this. It's like uh, when you're looking for a spouse, it's like you have a storefront, right? You have a store downtown. You clean it up nicely. You put some nice merchandise in the window, and you put some things on the shelf. You stock it real nice, and you get a, a customer, that prospective customer that comes in, and they go, wow, you have a really nice store. You have really nice things on the shelves. Everything looks really good. And you say, thank you very much. How can I help you? What can I get for you? And they say, well, I'm wondering if you have one of these. And you say, yes, I do. Let me get that for you. I'll be right back. And you come back with a smile and serve them with a good attitude. And they say, oh, this is very nice. Thank you very much. Do you have one of these? And, and you might say, yes, I'll be right back. And you go get it and you smile and you serve them with a good attitude. And then they might say, well, I'm wondering if you have any of these. And then you say, yes, I do. But that's in the after we're married department right over there. And that's my dad guarding the after we're married department with one of his favorite shotguns. And by the way, yes, I do. I have, I have a lot of that in abundance. And, and they say, well, I really like what I'm hearing. <clears throat> but we need, to, we need to remember that only... Only your spouse can serve your needs. Only you can serve your spouse's needs. So we need to do that without selfishness. Skipping a little due to time here. Um, we need to be a servant, just like Jesus is, uh, demonstrates his servant characteristics. He's the image. He's the example that we need to follow. And Jesus is so gentle. He's not a driver. He's not a sheep herder that leads from behind and pokes and prods. He's, he's a shepherd that leads from the front. He leads by words, by encouraging words, by truth. And that's why we follow him. He's a foot-washing leader in John 13 at the Last Supper. Amen? He's a foot-washing leader. And in Matthew 20, 26 through 28, he said, Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. And here's why he can say that. It's in the next verse. He said, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He is a servant. Man, I'm wondering if we can read this verse this way. Can I challenge us a little bit? Can you say, I did not get married to be served, but to serve, and I give my life a ransom for my wife and family? Can we say that, men? Yeah. Amen. Well, uh, here's more of Jesus' servant character in John 21. He made the disciples breakfast after he was resurrected, and they were fishing. And they came in. Um, as soon as John found out that it was him, he was excited. He told Peter. Peter jumped in. They swam, or he swam in with the fish, and Jesus cooked him dinner. Another example is in Luke 12, 36. It says, Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you, he will gird himself, and he will have them sit down and eat and come and serve them. Jesus is the master that he's talking about right there. He will take us to heaven and serve us dinner. Doesn't that blow your mind? It's going to be so awesome. Husbands, we need to be that kind of servant, and Jesus is our example. Um, quickly, more application. Here are the top four needs that a man has, and then we'll do the top four needs that a woman has. 
Number one for a man is respect and honor. Honor is so powerful to a man that he will change his behavior for the one who is giving him honor. So wives, if you want to change your husband, if you want to change your husband, honor him. Treat him better than he deserves because he will change his behavior when you honor him. Number two is sex. I don't usually like to talk about sex among unmarried people, but I'll say two things. One, young people, it is worth the wait. It is worth the wait. I can't say that enough. It is worth the wait. We have, we have seen so, so many people, so many marriages with such baggage that it's almost like they have two strikes against them. How are they ever going to come together as one? So it is worth the wait. And number two, it gets better with time. Amen. Believe me, it gets better with time. All right? It gets better. So the world might tell you, oh, you're only going to have sex with one person for the rest of your life? That's crazy. That's like eating the same meal for the next 50 years. Wrong. It gets better. It gets better. <clears throat> Believe someone from church, not your friends, what they're telling you. It should get better, just like anniversaries, right? Lisa and I just celebrated another anniversary. And uh, early in our marriage, I had to keep the bar low. Uh, for our first marriage, we, we were both broke college students, so we went to McDonald's, and I said, honey, pick out anything you want on the dollar menu. It's yours. <laughs> so I think it was the eighth or ninth uh, anniversary. We had four kids at the time, and I bought her a lock for the bedroom door. It was good. But after 31 years, uh, which is what we celebrated on Thursday, we are taking a trip in September to Florida. So we're excited about that, just the two of us. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, number three need that a man has is friendship with his wife. We want friendship. We don't want a mother. We've already had one of those, right, guys? We want to be friends with our wife. We want to do fun stuff. And the fourth thing is domestic support. And it's, it's not that the wife is going to do the cooking and cleaning. By domestic support, I mean... Um, she turns the house into a home, right? That's something that we really can't do, guys. We are, but it makes a big difference, but we don't know how to do it, but they do it. And another domestic support thing would be when we give them seed, they turn it into a human being. I don't know how that happens, but that's the domestic type of thing that, that a family, that a marriage needs. Uh, four major needs of a woman, number one is Security. The number one things that, that thing that makes them secure is a selfless, sacrificial husband that has his heart turned toward her. Number two is non-sexual affection. Non-sexual affection. Number three is uh, open and honest communication. And I remember early in our marriage, Lisa would ask me, hey, do you want to talk? And I would say, well, isn't that what we're doing now? You're, you're saying words, I'm saying words, but she means communication. And open and honest uh, communication, non-sexual affection for a woman, guys, is just as important as sex is to a man. And the more she gets af affection, the more we communicate, the more sexually they, sexual they become, and that's vital to a woman. I remember uh, when, when we were taught to do this, and I found out that I liked it. I liked the communication. Um, I liked the fact that we could talk. And uh, it really transformed our marriage. 
and she did become more sexual. So if I would have known that earlier in the marriage, I would have talked a whole lot more. But that's a need of a woman. So we need to give that to them, guys. And she wants us to lead. She wants a leader in, in the home. Anything that has to do with being a loving leader to initiate things, um, initiate things like uh, taking care of the kids, spirituality, finances, romance, anything to do like that, uh, they want us to take the lead in. And what that does, again, is it gives them more security and it lets them know that you're connected. So we need to serve them what they, what they need with a good attitude. Now, it's interesting that these are things I don't think we can do on our own. We need, to, we need to have the help of the Holy Spirit. We need to have his strength, his stamina, um, in order to, to provide these things. Conflict resolution is very important in marriage. I just have a short little snippet about conflict resolution because we've heard all the, um, all the tricks and tips that we can do. The biggest thing for, for me and I, I think for our marriage is we learned that um, you can't change a negative spirit with another negative spirit, right? You can't, come, you can't fight fire with fire because all you'll end up with is a bigger fire. If, if there's a negative spirit, we have to come, we have to fight that with a positive spirit and... Uh, Here's the key. It's, it's when, we're, when they're not doing what we want them to do, we need to do what Jesus did when we weren't doing what he wanted us to do. Amen? So we need to intentionally, proactively, lovingly, redemptively love them with the opposite spirit that we're experiencing, and that will change our atmosphere and it'll change our lives. All right, Becca, if you could skip to slide 22, that would be great. This is the conclusion of the marriage section. It's Ephesians 5.33, and Paul says, Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and, see, and, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So love and respect really wraps it up. Guys, when we love our wife, we're going to meet those needs now that we know them. And gals, when we respect our husband... Um, you're going to meet his needs as well. So I'm going to move on to parenting, the parenting relationship. This is the relationship with you and your kids. And then I'll close. But some of the things in a marriage uh, that endanger a marriage are not bad things. Some of the things that endanger a marriage are good things, but they're just out of priority. And kids can be one of them. Kids are a good thing, but if they're out of priority... They can really hurt the marriage. And if we don't intentionally teach our kids that our marriage is the most important relationship to us, they can, uh, they can really turn things upside down. Um, I have two, two grandchildren at the stage of toddlers, and my dad has an interesting term for this. He calls it mobile with no brains. And it's absolutely true. They're, they're very mobile. If you turn around for a second, they're gone. And who knows what they're getting into? They don't know if something's going to hurt them, if something's hot, if they're going to get their fingers pinched in it. Um, and therefore, parents have to make sure that, um, that they serve those, their kids in that stage. But by the time your kids are teenagers, mom and dad, uh, they should be, not be regarding your, your marriage. They should not be mobile with no brains. 
they should know that mom and dad's relationship is very important. Even your school-age kid or your preschooler should be taught that mom and dad's relationship takes priority because if you don't teach them, they'll wear you out. A couple examples, um, and everybody, I think all parents have been through this, where a little, little boy or girl says, mommy, mommy, I need a drink of water. And there reaches a point where you just have to say lovingly, you know, you've already had a drink of water in the last 30 minutes. Let's just see if you survive the night until the morning, right? You'll get another drink of water there. Or, mommy, mommy, I have to go to the bathroom. To which we say, it's okay, you have a diaper, use it. <laughs> right? Or, <clears throat> daddy, daddy, there's a monster in my closet. That's okay, you'll have somebody to talk to. Now leave us alone. We have to come to that point at some, at some point. They have to know that mommy and daddy's marriage after nine o'clock or whatever bedtime is takes priority. That's mommy and daddy time. And that means alone without you, little Johnny. I love you, but good night. <clears throat> um, I had a teenage experience uh, that I want to share where I must have, I'd, maybe the one time I was disrespectful to my mom, I guess, my dad sat me down and an interesting thing that I, he probably didn't even know he was doing this, but it really spoke right to my heart. He said, listen, no one is going to treat my wife that way. And I had a really good relationship with my dad. I was very secure in it. And I knew at the time he was telling me, listen, my relationship with my wife is more important than my relationship with you. Not to diminish what we had, he was more elevating uh, his relationship with his wife. And that spoke volumes to me. It actually felt good. It actually gave me peace. It made me feel secure because I knew a lot of my friends' parents were getting divorced. And I knew, great, my dad and my mom are solid. He's, he's put their relationship where it needs to be. So I was happy about that. Um, all of us parents want to be buddies with our kids. And, um, you know, there's a time and a place for that. I'd recommend when your kids are young, keep in mind, you're their parent. You correct them. You parent them. You um, make sure that they start thinking correctly because they're crazy. Kids don't think correctly, right? They, they just want their needs met. And as you do that and as they grow, they will become your buddies. Some of my buddies, um, my best buddies in the world, they sit right down there and, on Sunday mornings and they're my kids. And I love spending time with them. We're buds now. I'm buds with my dad. But there was a time when I couldn't be. I needed correction. The kids needed correction. And, uh, but there is a time and it's worth the wait when your kids are grown up serving the Lord and making right decisions. That's the time to be buddies with them. And it's so awesome. Um, I've got some real quick advice for singles. We're running out of time here, but um, just some bullet points. So th this is advice for seeking singles or single seeking. Number one is have that personal relationship with God and be at peace with him on his terms. Know your, uh, your creator and know the purpose that he, that he uh, uh, created you for. Seek him and serve him with all of your heart. This one requires some introspection, but know the areas that you're the most selfish. Look inward and say, where am I most selfish? What do I need to work on first? Uh, give others the advantage. Fight to give them the advantage. Practice putting others first. 
Um, if you don't have anyone in your life that you can do that with, do that with your family. Put your mom and dad first. Serve your siblings. Serve their, your nieces and nephews. Be a friend. Prefer others before yourself. And stop looking, guys, for that Proverbs 31 wife. She's not out there. Not when she's single. She requires you to meet her needs and provide that environment and encouragement for her to become that Proverbs 31 gal. So don't set that bar so high that's, that it's unattainable. Um, perfection's not out there. She needs you to help. Um, is, another question, is it God's plan for everyone to be married? Short answer is no. No, you don't have to be married. Um, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul addresses that in a number of different ways. I recommend you study 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, but verse 17, and after that, he simply says, live as you are called. Are you called to be married? Then yes, marry. If you're called to be single and serve the Lord, then be single. And there's a little bit of extra, I won't say pressure, but there's a little bit of an expectation on single people because you're single for a reason. It's not to be self-centered and serve yourself. It's to serve the Lord, is what Paul says. So he says, so that you may serve the Lord without distraction. And then the very next verse, he says, but let them marry. It's not a sin. <laughs> so live as you are called. So I'm going to invite the worship team up and we'll close. Thank you, worship team. And you can stand with me, please, and we'll pray and close. We're going to open the altars after we pray. And I highly encourage any marriage to come forward. It doesn't mean that you're, you're on the rocks. It doesn't mean that you're in trouble. Uh, maybe you're a mediocre marriage and you just want to get better. Maybe you're a great marriage, but you want to you wanna pray for your kids' marriages. That's great. Please come forward. I'd like the men to lead on this. And I believe if you're struggling in this, I think of when Jesus turned water into wine. It was a little bit of a, um, an outside of time. You know, it takes a long time. It takes years to make good wine. And the wine that he made was even better than they had at the, at the banquet. I believe as you come forward and pray for your, your marriage, that he will take you back to a time when your marriage was intoxicating to both of you. And he can do that. He can do that with your willingness. As I said before, living the Christian life isn't always easy, but God tries to make it simple for us to understand and follow him. And the gift of salvation is both simple and easy. Jesus died so that we could have salvation and have eternity with him. So if, if that's what you want, it's as simple as receiving a gift. We just receive it with childlike faith. It's a free gift, just like a, a birthday gift or a Christmas gift. And all we need to do is receive it, reach out and receive it and say thank you. So let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. There isn't anybody looking around. If that's you, if you want to, be, uh, to have salvation, I just ask you to put your hand on your heart. Repeat these words after me. We'll pray with you. You only need to pray this prayer once and you're not entering, uh, you're not becoming a member of the church. You're becoming a member of the family of God. So say this after me. Just say, Jesus, 
I'm a sinner. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. Heavenly Father, I give you my life. Now please take it. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I receive your gift of salvation. And I thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you uh, meant that, God meant it, and he is now residing in your heart. You are now a family, a member of the family of God. And I just ask that you would come forward also and, and receive prayer. Tell someone, altar workers, please move forward. Tell someone of the decision that you made. And we can give you some resources and make sure you're, you're part of the hot coals, right, that stay together and you don't, get, you don't fall away. So let's pray and we'll close and then you can be dismissed. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you so much for being here. We thank you, Lord, for teaching us. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for uh, igniting our hearts in certain ways. We thank you for giving us ideas, innovations, ways to have better relationships. Lord, and we thank you for always walking with us. We thank you for creating relationships, Father, for our protection. We thank you for creating marriage, Lord God. Um, to be your image on the earth. We just ask, Lord, that you would go with us this week. And we thank you for all that you do for us. We thank you for your servant character. And we thank you for the example that you give us, uh, Jesus. And all of the people of God said, amen. Amen.